Well, hello, and welcome back to the Fellowship Podcast with CMF International. My name is Erin McDade, and I am your hostess for today. I'm filling in for my friend Jake Moore, my teammate. And if you are logging on, then this is episode two of two with a very special guest, a dear friend and CMF alumna, Tracy Topple. Hey, Tracy, how are you? Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me back. This is great. Well, gosh, we were going so strong last time. It was hard to cut off. There was so much I wanted to keep asking you. So maybe we should make this an ongoing series. Ooh, I'll put that, I'll put that word in. How's that? I don't know. It might be a little stressful. (laughs) (laughs) And we're, we're all about managing stress though. All about what we're here to talk about. Yes. Well, I would love just for those who might be joining us, maybe they're just stepping in. I will encourage you to go check out the first episode. It gives just a great framework for this part of our conversation. But just in case, if there are some folks who are joining us for the first time, Tracy, would you spend a couple minutes just um, recapping some of our discussion from episode one? Sure, sure. We um, spent some time talking about early childhood brain development. I am an infant and early childhood mental health specialist, and that's the professional work that I do. Um, But I love to integrate um, the ideas of early childhood brain development, um, ideas around stress and trauma for the developing child um, and our um, mental health and integrate that into the work that you all are doing at CMF around the world. Can you talk a little bit about uh, different areas of the brain? And um, and we spent a lot of time talking about stress and mm-hmm. talked a little bit about how um, relationships and others in our life can help us regulate this stress, this co-regulation. So we spent some time uh, last week talking about patterns of stress. And, you know, we, we've talked about stress that is something that is good for our bodies and that can help um make us um, alert and accomplish things that we may not um, have been able to accomplish when we have just that little bit of stress. I'm thinking of like an exam that we might take or um, something, um, giving a presentation, public speaking, for example. Um, But when the pattern of stress um, becomes where it is unpredictable and it is severe and prolonged, then it creates more vulnerabilities. Um, Are you talking about COVID right now? I am talking about COVID, right? Like it is, it is out. It, it is something that we are going through globally that yes. is predictable. Um, it's prolonged and severe. We do not know, um, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. When we have these events in our life or, or relationships, that um, there's that big not knowing, and that creates a lot of anxiety of the unknown. Um, And the way that that can kind of play out in the vulnerabilities in our life, we might, um, you know, have minimal structure and routine because when we get stressed, we either go through um, these rigid periods or these super flexible loosey goosey periods. Um, And so these vulnerabilities may create us to have minimal structure to our day where we're just um, all over the place um, or scattered. Um, or on the opposite side of that, these vulnerabilities can create a lot of rigidity and things have to be this certain way in order for me to be okay. Um, and so these extremes either way create these vulnerabilities. Um, we think about, you know, um, not being able to um, exercise, exercise an important part, um, having isolation. We tend to get these vulnerabilities, self-talk, or ruminations or thoughts, um, our sleep gets disrupted. All of this 
and we certainly, I'm sure all of us are doing these wonky things that we would not have done. Um, right. I harvested 36 tomatoes yesterday. And the reason I did that is we planted 16 tomato plants. And so now for a pandemic planting, things that, that you just don't typically do when we're not under stress, right? Right. Um, eating Cheetos in the middle of the night. Um, things that, yeah, we think about our, you know, media consumption. Mm. Um, I find myself checking my um, cell phone at one in the morning. Why? Um, why would I do that? Um, these things create uncertainty, right? Anxiety. And so we our, our lives reflect that. Um, and so the more that we can help shift towards resilience with patterns of stress that are predictable, moderated and controlled, um, we can start creating more resilience, um, such as sleep and wake cycles that are predictable. Mm -hmm. uh, structured times to get together with family, um, meal times that help, just those daily routines and rhythms that get us through a predictable part of our day. Um, exercise, being able to reach out. When we ourselves are more resilient, we're able to help others. Um, mm -hmm. And we become more future oriented and focused on others and not so much inwardly focused in on our own, own needs. I would love for you to spend a little bit more time and because we're really, to use your word, predictability. We're trying to create environments where there is a little bit more predictability mm -hmm. when our outside world essentially is very unpredictable and volatile right now. So um, even some of the things that you mentioned connected with this with others, it feels like we're being asked to social distance across the globe. Mm -hmm. How can we embrace some of these patterns of predictability? How have maybe you and, and Craig done that in the midst of a pandemic even? Um, give us some examples of how that can play out. Um, you know, that those are really good questions and something we all struggle with and certainly something that Craig and myself and our family at large has struggled finding spaces to get together. Even when we have to be physically distant, um, that we don't have to be socially isolated um, in that distance. Uh, and the way, you know, that we have tried to do that is, is creating, um, you know, consistency and commitment to and discipline to a schedule. And so having, and I don't mean a schedule like 8 a.m. wake up, but there's a rhythm to the day. Mm -hmm. um, and for my family, that means um, prayer time together. Um, it means that we, at Sunday morning, we all meet online for church um, at Craig's um, parents' church, and we have a Zoom meal together. Um, mm -hmm. Afterwards, Craig is really great at setting his time for exercise aside and making sure that he's um, running. That's something that gives him energy and gives him life. Um, growing our own food um, also is something that we enjoy to do. So being able to, um, you know, set up routines that work for you and your family. So, you know, one area that, um, you know, that is under our control is our media consumption. So to be able to um, have a moderated way that we engage with media, social media, news media. Um, maybe, you know, for me, it's it's having um, one source of, of online news that I can go to and um, not spend, you know, time surfing the web with the next sensational story that comes up about COVID or, or whatever um, is happening right now with protests, with wearing masks or not wearing masks or 
um, we can get caught up in a lot of that. And our stress response system responds to that with either anxiety or depression. Right. So, um, so you've mentioned a couple of these areas where um, it's almost helpful to do a self-check and go, yeah. where do I fall on the spectrum? Yeah. Um, how can we, um, both as we look at this personally, and maybe if for those of us who are working in team settings where we're around our teammates on a regular basis, we might be able to say, oh, gosh, you know, I see them pulling away here or um, I see extreme moods, whatever. What yeah. would be a healthy next step to engaging those teammates or a healthy next step to formulate some more predictability in my life? How, how do others play into that? Yeah, you know, that those are wonderful, great questions. And I think, um, you know, as unique as we are as individuals and as teams, you really have to come together and see what works best. Um, you know, what works for me as an individual may not work best for you. Mm -hmm. But being able to encourage each other to set that together. So if we, you know, as a team, I'm thinking back about, you know, many teams that I've been a part of having predictable, regular, consistent time that you actually meet and you prior, you make that important. That's a priority, sacred. right? That's like sacred, yeah. sacred time. Um, and through those relationships, you get to know each other and get, and you, you, you get to understand and create more empathy um, and build that together about what works and doesn't work for you as a team or for you individual as a family. How important is it for us to share these predictable patterns that we're trying to establish right now with others? What is for accountability purposes. I think, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I think, um, you know, being able to help each other live this out, um, and hold each other accountable to, to patterns. Certainly, um, Craig and I try to do that with each other. Um, you know, we, with our girls, we say, okay, past a certain time, we're not going to have screen time. Um, and we try to as well adhere to that as a family, you know, things, things like that. Um, no, I think it's really important, um, no doubt, as we help. You know, we talked a little bit last time about um, regulation and self-regulation. Stay um, in a space that we're not, our nervous system is not going one far in one direction or the other. Um, and we can help each other calm and stay connected. I've heard you say before that co-regulation actually helps with personal regulation. The idea yes. that if you're all in this together and you have these healthy patterns that are built in for connection, you know, if I'm I'm going off the path, having those rhythms or traditions can bring me back onto it. Definitely, definitely, certain, certainly, um, you know, having having those rhythms and those rituals within our personal lives, individual lives, and within our places of worship, um, in our communities, help bring us back. Help. Mm -hmm. help bring us back to uh, this predictable um, routine and rhythm of life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm even thinking, you know, for some of our teams right now that are having to rethink how ministry works. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's just different. Uh, the idea of, you know, depending on what country you're in, socially gathering looks very different. Yeah. In some of our fields in Australia, they're opening up a little bit more and able to gather in smaller groups. But um, then in some of our other fields, um, it, it's just not possible right now. 
So how can um, we encourage our teams to build in those patterns? Like this seems like an ideal time that you would evaluate this no matter where you fall on the spectrum of mm -hmm. healthy patterns of stress or not. So thinking about in the midst of the pandemic now, this is an opportunity for us to be able to kind of take a pause um, and, and think about our schedules and our structure and reprioritize and putting that, those rhythms into place if we don't already, or to think about which ones are of value and, and actually work and function for us um, to continue with those. Def certainly an opportunity for teams um, and families to do that and being able to then create spaces we can have more connectedness. As we as we spoke last time, Erin, we talked about the, the connectedness and the health of our relationships is more important to our well-being than our past experiences or adversities um, that kind of lead into our vulnerabilities. So we want to create resilience and we want to be able um, to be more resilient as individuals, as families, and as communities. And, and we can help each other in that process um, by being able to have these predicted predictab predictability. And when I say that, I really, um, it's important that our relationships are predictable so that we know that we're getting our needs met in relationship to each other and predictability in a relationship with God as well, that we have predictable times and spaces that we can um, gather together and grow and learn together. So even when you say that, I want you to dive into that a little bit dip, uh, a little bit more. What does predictability in our relationships look like outside of the traditions or common shared, uh, I'll say, events or rhythms that we're doing? What does predictable predictability look like in those relationships? Um, so I know that when I come to you, that I'm going to have. Uh, support, right? And so if I am, um, so I am doing my best as a caregiver, for example, to create a predictable relationship so that when my child turns to me in times of stress, that I can help meet that need. That connection is important to me. Um, so as our team members, that predictability and that when I am in need, you will be there for me. Mm -hmm. I can be with you. And, and just and knowing that we are not alone that we are together. So, so it may be predictability may mean that we have um, a meeting every Tuesday at one o'clock. And, um, you know, we, of course we have grace and um, there's flexibility in that, but um, that that will be our priority and we will gather together in that, that time together. Um, you know, and having that time for fellowship and to enjoy each other to delight in each other. You know, maybe it's once a month we are um, doing, you know, some type of activity or new experience that helps create positive um, just relationship and enjoyment of each other. Right. I'm thinking here in the home office uh, at CMF, our staff gathers currently online every morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we have staff that are living all over the country. So they're all logging on at that time. And it's a time where we are praying for one another and for our worldwide team. And, you know, sometimes those, those times, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's short, you know, um, sometimes they're longer, but there's something good about knowing it's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> knowing that that's our kind of coming together. Cause right now when we're all spread out, it's essential. And it reminds me, oh, I serve on this team with so-and-so. And it fosters our relationship, even if it is happening in a larger group. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, we, I, I hear what you're fall, saying. Yeah, we can fall back on that knowing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the same for our families and falling back on that knowing how do we prioritize um, relationship with our spouses, for example. Um, you know, Craig and I have tried to do, um, you know, date nights and it, these things are, they're really hard, right? But we know when we can do them that it actually creates more predictability that we feel we have this space set aside that we can actually communicate together. Um, I keep thinking too, all of what you're talking about is talking about transformed individuals and transformed communities, which is what CMF is all about. Uh, Every single missionary who might be listening to this podcast, that's what they are in the business of doing, opening their lives up for personal transformation, for the benefit of others, for the sake of others. And um, I keep thinking that unless we are becoming more regulated, it's really hard to have fruitful ministry. Um, it's hard to be present and merciful Mm -hmm. to other people. So, um, you know, maybe in your own experience, working with individuals who come from backgrounds where they're they're fighting just to catch up on this level, where have you seen some success of being able to enter into that place of overflowing for others? You're pointing to something really, really important um, in that in order for us to um, be able to pour into others, for us to be able to um, actually what we call an infinite early childhood mental health is hold one another, the holding environment. Mm. In order to be able to do that, we also have to have the experience of being held. Mm. Um, and so thinking, who who is it that holds me? Who is it that I can go to when I'm I'm distressed? And I'm thinking about some of the the families that I work with, um, a mom in particular who um, grew up in the foster care system and uh, in a group home, so not in a family environment, and um, was transferred from one place to the next. Um, And through and now and has experienced several losses and, and a difficult trauma background. And now she has three young children of her own. Mm-hmm. Um, how does she give to those kids? Um, and so to be able to, what we call in early, I'm trying to see if this would translate, to um, violate the attachment expectations. And so mm-hmm. her her pattern of being in relationship is one of abandonment. It's one of mm-hmm. hurt. It's one of not being understood. Um, it's that people are not trustworthy. Um, And so now how do I, as a um, clinician, how do the other mothers that we gather with together hold her in a way that she can have a completely different experience of a relationship? One that is going to um, not blame, one that's going to be merciful, compassionate, empathize, and that will be predictable. I will be here. And I will mm. take you through this. Not that I know what you're going through. Not that I can do it for you. Um, but I will be here. Mm-hmm. With. And so having that different experience, those rewire our neural connections, right? right. Well, and essentially you're talking about a Christ-centered community. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, this is, there is a whole, you know, movement in social services of trauma-informed work, trauma-informed mm-hmm. interventions, trauma-informed organizations. And these organizations or these this uh, movement or this philosophy of being um, in with organizations is changing the conversation to what's 
what's wrong with you to what's happened to you. Mm. Understanding that through our experiences, we come to a certain behavior or meaning or, or being in a certain way. Um, and so it's really um, helping uh, social services, organizations, meet people where they are with compassion, with understanding, and giving them the tools through relationships that are healthy uh, to make just incredible change. Um, and so now some of that is also being used with churches in trauma-informed ministries or trauma-informed churches. There's a whole, um, uh, if you go online, you can check out some of the work that's being done, but there's uh, a whole kind of framework for how to then start creating safety and under understanding of the impact of early childhood adversity, of stress and of trauma um, on the developing child and how that then there's meaning behind behavior. There's meaning behind um, interactions. I can see too, if you are talking about it openly in these regards, it doesn't normalize trauma because it is so deep and personal, but it puts everybody on the same playing field. Could you say, yeah. say okay, we have a shared, we have a shared story. It might look different for how it happened to you than how it happened to me, but we both are, are facing the trauma in our life and able to move forward. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of yeah, how you see yes, it? Not, necess yeah, not necessarily normalizing it, but recognizing it, right? Recognizing, and naming yeah. it, acknowledging it. Because as humans, we empathize and we feel and we take on um, what we're experiencing and what we're seeing. And so for some of our missionaries who are entrusted um, with the stories of, of many people that have experienced trauma or adversity, and it may even trigger some of our, our own personal trauma, mm -hmm. um, and that we we take that on, um, and that we carry that. And in the mental health field, there's you know talk around what's considered secondary trauma. So mm -hmm. having um, carrying that and being witness and bearing witness to the the trauma of others starts to impact um, our own life. Uh, we call it compassion fatigue. Um, we might call it burnout. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and so we do, and so taking ongoing self-care becomes crucial in being able to then um, help be that healing relationship for others. Right. First a yeah. healing relationship for yourself and your own brokenness and then yeah. for others. Yeah. Be the whole thing, put on your, your mask first before you help your child <laughs> in the airplane. And that's what we're talking about, right? Oh. Resilience from the inside out. So good. Well, Tracy, as we wrap up our time together today, I just want to give you a chance. If there's anything that we didn't get to today, some some last words again. Um, thinking about the majority, uh, you know, of our teams and how they might be encountering this information today. Why it's important to even have this conversation. Mm. You know, I think uh, it creates a lot of understanding when we're able to understand. Um, you know, not only the biology, the physiology, be able to recognize uh, stress in our own lives, being able to help support each other. I mean, what we're really talking about are healthy, caring relationships um, and modeling, um, being the hands and feet of Christ is what we're talking about. Um, and, and we, to understand um, how our environment really does impact um, who we who we become, how we 
perceive the world, how we perceive relationships, um, how we perceive our own self-worth and value. Mm-hmm. All of that is so important. And so to as much as possible work towards uh, creating that resilience and creating um, environments that are supportive and nurturing. Yeah. One last question for you. I just, for anybody who wants to learn more, whether it be the trauma-informed ministry, whether it be some aspect of brain development, do you have kind of a first reference that you point people yes, to? Yes, I definitely do. I have several. Um, let's see, the um, Child Trauma Academy, so tra- childtrauma.org is you'll find the work of Bruce Perry and a lot of his work on stress and trauma. And he has a wonderful lecture series and podcasts that you can listen to. Um, the um, developing the Center for the Developing Child of Harvard. There's a, if you type in trauma-informed ministries, trauma-informed churches, you'll get uh, several websites that will point you in how churches and congregations are trying to ta- tackle this work and become more sensitive to early childhood trauma and the impact on on people's lives. Uh, there's also ACEs Connection which is another national organization on adverse childhood experience. And you'll see um, how uh, the study of ACEs, um, understanding childhood adversity, how that can be applied in many different fields from education to the healthcare system. I mean, there's whole communities um, that are trying to become trauma-informed communities, starting with really understanding the crucial impact that trauma and adversity has on people in working towards creating resilience. Thank you so much. I can see um, this even being a topic that we come back to as a larger team um, because each one of us in the communities that we're a part of, our own brokenness, but also the trauma and the stress that the people that we're serving alongside are experiencing. So um, you've given us a really helpful framework for ongoing transformation in this regard. Thank you for Thank all you. that you've shared. Thank, Thank you. you for being our guest. And I, I'll just say, I hope we have you back another time real soon. I Tracy. hope so too. I'd love to. <laughs> love to. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye.